Good morning. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Continuing in our series through Luke, this is the second message. We looked last week at uh, the birth of John the Baptist, and in particular focused on prophecy. This uh, week we're going to look at the uh, announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Once again, we have a title for our message. We're going to call this One Giant Step. One Giant Step. We're looking at um, a subject that is dear to my heart and should be dear to everyone's. I, I hope we never lose the sense of what we're reading here. God became a man. You understand? <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, there have been some big things happen in the universe but none of them compare to this except maybe the cross. God became a man. The word we use uh, to describe it in theology is the incarnation, literally enfleshment. God took on himself the form of a man. I call this one giant step because God becoming a man is, that's a, that's a giant step downward for him. In fact, it's an infinite step. But like last week, just for a moment here, I want to take the, the big picture, stand back a little bit, and I want us to appreciate how this fits in to the condescension of the Son of God. Because this is just one step out of many in his uh, step downward. <clears throat> Most of you are familiar with Philippians 2. This is the way Paul describes it, talking about uh, the Lord Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. There's the, what we're looking at, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I want us to try to understand what that great stoop downward is that's described there. And the way to kind of get a handle on it is to first break it down into three great steps downward. First, he became a man, but he didn't just become a man. He became a bondservant, but he didn't just become a bondservant. He died on the cross. Three huge steps. We're looking at one of them this morning. And yet each of those steps in itself is composed of other steps. And none of them are uh, finite. Every one of them is infinite. You'll see what I mean. Those three steps, every one of them is infinite. From a God to man, you realize that's an infinite gap. He, he, he crossed there. How high is God? <laughs> He's infinitely high. And he became a man. The form of a bondservant. Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe? Not just a servant, a bond servant, the lowest kind. That's an infinite step. But then to leave heaven, the glories of heaven, and go to the cross. That's an infinite step. Uh, this is taken, by the way, the uh, title, of course, from I think it was John Glenn. Was it John Glenn? Or who stepped on the moon? Was that him? Neil Armstrong, thank you. Anyway, you know his famous uh, quote. I wonder how long he thought about it before he said it. <laughs> Sitting in the capsule there. <clears throat> That's one small step for a man. One what? Giant leap for mankind. You know, was, you know I, he says, I, I individually just took a small step to do that, but in doing so, uh, mankind as a whole took a giant leap forward. Now, it's interesting that um, actually... It wasn't a step up the way he described it because when he was done, he was neither no closer to God nor was mankind. So in that sense, uh, it didn't get any nearer to God. It wasn't a giant step up. Technologically, yes, technology doesn't get us to God. We're talking about downward steps here, not up, by God himself in order to come to us, you see. The first step down, coming in the likeness of the man. That's one we're going to think about most this morning. Just think about all that was involved in that. First of all, uh, he yielded his rights as God. It says in the passage I just read in Philippians, he considered equality with God not a thing to be grasped. In other words, you know, to be held on to. Here he is in heaven being worshipped, being served, dwelling in unapproachable light. And he, and he considered that and said, I'm willing to give that up in order to go down and save sinners. Wow. That's, a, that's an infinite step right there. How are you at giving up rights? <laughs> Next, he veiled his glory. You know, when he came, 
he looked like an ordinary guy. There was nothing in him that says we did not esteem him. When we looked at him, he was just an ordinary looking guy. Man, you think if God would come, you know, it'd be like with radiant light or something, you know. If he did, I'll tell you, it would put Hollywood special effects to shame. <laughs> no, because it, it's real. And it's not just, you know, that kind of light. We're talking about moral perfection. He could have blown us away, you know. You get within a couple of miles of him and you're annihilated. No, really. But he didn't. He just came and if you'd seen him on the street, he would look like any of them. This is incredible. Infinite stoop. Uh, He came to earth. And on earth, there are sinners. And there is sin. The holy God came and uh, mixed with sinners. You know, we get irritated with people. We're pots calling the kettles black, you know. <laughs> You're a sinner. I can't stand you, you know. <laughs> huh? So are you. It says in Hebrews about him, he was holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's who he is. And yet he came and rubbed shoulders every day. The Pharisees got on him because he did what? He ate with sinners. <gasps> Praise God he did. But then what else is involved in uh, becoming a man? Well, he experienced personally, this is absolutely incredible, human limitations. He was weary. Can you imagine that? God being tired. You know what it says in Isaiah? Have you not heard or have you not known the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He is not weary, neither does he faint. That's talking about him. And it says, he being tired from his journey, he sat down at Jacob's well. Wow. That's incredible. There's a, there's, see, that's an infinite step, okay? The God of the universe, or as he said, the creator of the ends of the earth, becomes weary. <clears throat> so, there's more. I mean, we could, we could spend a whole sermon just considering the various individual steps. But that's just involved in coming in the likeness of men, the incarnation. The second giant step, I said, taking the form of a bond servant. You know, again, think about it. If he came, he should have had he should have been in a palace. Right. Greatest palace ever, ever known. Solid gold embedded with diamonds or something. Right. With servants everywhere. That's that's what he should have done as God. You know. If, you're, if you wanted to see him, you'd get on the list. You know, maybe 10 years from now, you might get in. He was poor. It's touching that phrase he said about himself, you know. He said, birds of the air have nests, foxes have their holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Can you say that? I have a place to lay my head. I, I bet everybody does here. Man, uh, a bond servant. Man, you talk about the perfect. He served others. That's all he did. Can you imagine that? That's all he did. All day. He never took care of himself. I mean, you know, within reason. It was always doing things for other people, healing them, teaching. Uh, he summarized it best when he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. 
Each one of these, talk about an infinite step. You know, it's like a success of infinite steps. Now, how far can he go, you know? Downward. But then on top of that, he, he wasn't just a bondservant. We, we despised him. It says that prophetically in Isaiah. We, we despised him. It means we thought he was worthless, you know? You see that in the Gospels. He was rejected. He was contradicted, like the old King James, who endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. Uh, John puts it well. He came to his own, and his own what? Received him not. (laughs) We have it. It happened. God came to earth, and we didn't want him. (laughs) Wow. Wow. But uh, he kept stepping downward. Each of these is a giant stride. And the last one, the death of the cross. Wow. It's like, um, I've never experienced it myself. Howard's not here. But uh, I understand that uh, if you go snorkeling or or scuba diving near the continental shelf, you know, that's the edge of a continent, right? You can be swimming along like Waikiki, apparently you can do this. You go swimming out there, you know, maybe with a snorkel and you're looking 10 feet, 20 feet down at the pretty things and so on. And if, if you don't know what you're doing, you'll swim right over the edge of the continental shelf. And they say, it's, it's an awesome feeling because you're swimming along and all of a sudden, whoa, there's no bottom. It, it's black all the way down there for miles. And uh, the typical reaction is people start freaking out and start paddling the other way real quick to get back, you know. It's, it's this huge drop off. That's, that's what we're talking about here. That's how far down the Lord Jesus stepped. The next one, the death of the cross. We say that. It says in his verse, it's so simple, and yet it's not. I know uh, you thought about it this morning. Just the anticipation that he suffered. He knew in advance. You know, sometimes I, we don't want to know, you know, when something bad's going to happen, Right? Because then you get to think about it. You get to anticipate it. Wait for it to come. Better for it to come suddenly, you know. But uh, he kept going down because he was arrested as a criminal. And he was tried and he was uh, convicted, sentenced to death. This is God. But he kept going down. He was tortured scourged, beaten beyond recognition. says in Isaiah that he was marred more than any man. God doesn't exaggerate. We do. God doesn't exaggerate. And God said that he was marred more than any man. Crown of thorns, and then he was crucified. He was abused. He was spit on. He was mocked while he was dying. It's it's amazing how creative we were in his hour of deep distress, that we could think of such creative things to say to him, to hurt him. You know, if you're the son of God, come down. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Isn't that ironic? If he had saved himself, he wouldn't be saving us. Or probably the one that hurt the most, you know. Let him deliver him if he delights in him. Questioning the Father's love for the Son. Well, another infinite step. 
because then he bore our sins. Wow. The sin bearer. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin was made sin for us. I don't even understand that. And finally, the, la- the bottom, the bottom of the pit, if you will, the judgment of God. Wow. And then death. I'll tell you, praise God for that last step. You know why? That's where he found me. That's where I was. And if he'd stopped anywhere short of that, he'd have never found me. (coughs) Praise his name. Well, we can't leave him there, of course. The passage in Philippians 2 goes on to say, Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You think he deserves that? Oh, man, richly so. Praise the Lord. Uh, Jesus, he says that at the name of Jesus, he didn't have that name before he was born. He was God the Son. God exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, co-equal as God. I want to be careful when we talk about God that way. And he, the second person, God the Son, took on human flesh. He became a man. What do you mean? He, he didn't stop being God. He is now fully God and fully man. Two natures. You understand? And yet one person. He's not schizophrenic. God the Son. And that's incredible when you think about it, that in the glory right now, there is a man. (laughs) And he's God. He's the first man there, okay? But there are going to be a lot of others following him. Jesus, it says, every knee shall bow. In the passage here, that's the uh, name that Gabriel tells Mary that they should name their child. Isn't that cool, you know? When God tells you ahead of time what you're going to call your kid, you know, you don't have to get out that little book, you know, with all the names. God's already decided for you. Jesus means Jehovah saves or Jehovah is savior. The Lord saves. Now, we have to realize uh, we always give uh, the people in the gospels too much credit for what they knew. Mary did not know that Jesus was going to die on the cross for her sins and everybody else's. So um, when she hears Jesus, Jehovah's Savior, or later God told Joseph plainly, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, neither he nor Mary thought about, oh, he's going to die on the cross and pay the penalty. Uh, it, it It would have been something vague, like, you know, kind of saving us from the presence of our sins or something like that. Not the judicial payment to a righteous God to settle our account in heaven. The other name that uh, is brought, he has many names, Jesus does in the Bible, but the other one that's brought up at his birth, of course, is Emmanuel. That's in Matthew. And um, it, again, at that time, the, the word means God with us. I think most Jews would have thought, well, it just means he's on our side, you know, God with us. Little did they realize uh, it meant a lot more than that. 
God with us. He's among us. God is walking among us as a man. Emmanuel, God with us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk somewhat about Mary. We, we, as I said, we covered the characters in our character study, but she is in the passage. And I just want to say a couple of things about her uh, before we get back to the uh, virgin birth. Um, first of all, let's say some things about Mary, what Mary is not, because it's some bad teaching that's been going around for several centuries about Mary. Mary was an ordinary lady, ordinary in the sense that uh, she was like you and me. She was a sinner, okay? Number one, she was or is not an intercessor with God, okay? There are some that teach that. And every one of these uh, bad teachings, there are three of them mainly, <clears throat> you can just turn to the scripture very clearly and see that they're not true. For that one, turn to 1 Timothy 2.5. There was one God. No, I'm sorry. Go, I'll just tell it to you. Write it down if you want to remember it. 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. How many mediators? One. That's right. The Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Secondly, she was not a perpetual virgin. Or she didn't have any more kids. That's incredible that that can be taught. Listen to Matthew 12, talking about Jesus. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. That's pretty clear, huh? We even know their names. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, they're uh, in his homeland where he had uh, no honor. They were saying, you know, who is this guy? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? It's not Judas Iscariot, by the way. There they are. Okay? So Mary went on to have four more sons. That's not all. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So we got four brothers, two sisters. We got at least a family of seven. Okay. So Mary is not a perpetual virgin. All right. And that's not like God. He blessed her. That's a blessing to have children, by the way, according to the Bible anyway. Right. So it's not surprising that he blessed her with all these children. <clears throat> Finally, Mary is not sinless. That's silly. That, that argument comes from silence because it, there, it doesn't ever say Mary sinned by doing such and such. Therefore, she must be sinless. Do you know how many by people in the Bible would be sinless if you use that argument? Because there isn't a sin mentioned about them. Half or probably most of them would be sinless. No. There's so, really, there's so little said about her. And it's not God's point to prove to us that she's a sinner. Okay? <clears throat> now, let me tell you something. <clears throat> a lot of people like to turn to verse 47 in this passage later in Mary's Magnificat, where she says, My spirit is rejoicing God, my Savior. And they say, See that? She's a sinner. 
Listen, let's be honest with the Bible. If you want to use the Bible, use it correctly. That's not the way to use that verse. Again, you're imposing on Mary's thinking, your thinking. When she says that, she's not talking about saving me from my sin. She means my deliverer, my redeemer. We'll talk about this next week. She explains what she means by that phrase. He delivers the poor, the unknown, and raises them up. It's like a psalm. That's what she's talking about. You understand? Does that blow you away? I see a lot of, whoa. Secondly, it's not that strong to use the offering of the turtle doves that they brought later on in the consecration of Jesus in the temple. Why not? Because the turtle doves were specified in Leviticus to take care of the ceremonial uncleanness of a woman who had given birth. It is not intended as a sacrifice to take care of her sins, per se. Okay? Oh, no. Well, maybe she is sinless, right? No! Use a verse you use with anybody else. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or any of the other verses, okay? They all apply to her just like anybody else, including Joseph in the Old Testament, you know? Abraham, all the way up through Stephen, the martyr. There's no sins listed for him. He's a sinner too, okay? Mary, Mary was a sinner. She was a godly woman, okay? What what, uh, did Gabriel say here? He said, um, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 30, you have found favor with God, okay? Very much like Zacharias and Elizabeth that we saw last time. They were righteous. Doesn't mean they were sinless. Just like Abraham was righteous, okay? But they, they lived a life that was God-fearing, and God, God liked that. He honored that. Mary, doubt, no doubt, was like that too, a godly young woman. <clears throat> if you want to find somebody that's sinless, okay, look, look no further than Jesus. Because God, that's the only person about whom God says, not once, but all over the place, that he is sinless. Okay? And this comes in now on his incarnation. Because when he took on himself human flesh, he did not become capable of sinning. The the theological word is impeccable. It means he cannot sin. Okay? Jesus uh, did not sin because he cannot sin. And he will not sin. Okay? Uh, First of all, let's get this issue straight. He didn't sin. First Peter, he committed no sin, it says. That's pretty clear. Second Corinthians, he knew no sin. And finally, John writes, in him there is no sin. There's a key, by the way. In him there is no sin. That's a key. We said before... There's one God, three persons co-equal as God. God the Son, the second person, became a man. He now had and has two natures. He has a 
completely divine nature as God. He can't, <clears throat> he can't lose that or give it up. That's crazy when people say that. He can't stop being who he is. Okay? He is God. That's not like a mantle that you can just kind of take off. <clears throat> At conception, in Mary's womb, God performed a miracle. He talks about it here. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. And there, God performed the miracle of creating a, a human life, but it's not like you and me when we were conceived. When we were conceived, by the way, every time there's conception, God creates a new human life. Did you know that? The, the, the physical uh, one cell that becomes many is just the outer part. It's the shell. Okay, people die and that shell decays. I'm sorry. It's not, it's not permanent. Okay, what makes you you is not this. Okay, the part that makes you you, your spirit was created by God, not your mommy and your daddy. And that is you. That's who you are. And that's the part that goes on forever. It's you. Now, <clears throat> what we have here is the case of someone who already existed as a person. Okay? God the Son. <laughs> he had always existed. And so, God didn't create the, the, the person. He already existed. He, he merely united the person of God the Son with the physical part, the material part, as they say. And he became, and he took on him at that point a human nature. <clears throat> but he was sinless. And since he was and is God, he cannot sin. It says in James uh, 1 13, interesting little thing that's really talking about uh, temptations and trials. <clears throat> but he <clears throat> tells us something about God. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Why? Because God cannot be tempted by evil. Neither does he tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted by evil. You understand? Cannot. So how often can God be tempted? Never. He cannot. That's hard for us to understand because it's so easy for us. Okay? You ever been tempted? You ever followed through on it and sin? All the time. You see, sin has no interest for God. In, in fact, that's putting it mildly. He hates it with a deep hatred. He always has and always will. And so Jesus is God. God cannot be tempted by evil. <clears throat> I do want you to look at this verse, Hebrews 4. We've talked about this before. I want you to really understand this. So when you talk to your cult friends who say Jesus could sin, you can answer them. <clears throat> God intended this verse in Hebrews 4, verse 15, to demonstrate that Jesus could not sin. <clears throat> Unfortunately, when the translators got hold of it, for some reason they turned it around and made it look like he could, but whew, good thing he didn't. Okay? Hebrews 4, 4, 4, verse 15. For 
We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, we're going to look at those last three words. Because when you read this, what does it sound like? He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. It sounds like, man, it came close. Woo! I am so glad he didn't give in. Almost, but he didn't. Isn't that what it sounds like? Yet without sin. You notice that the uh, you should have the print and your word yet. It should be different. Is it? It's in italics, isn't it? Yes? You know why? Because it's not in the original language. That word is not there. They added it. So it really says in the original, uh, tempted as we are, we've got to change another word. The word without there is really separate or apart. Okay? So it's literally tempted as we are, apart sin. Wow. Well, that's a whole different meaning. And in fact, what God intends to say here is his temptation is apart from sin. In other words, uh, he's not being, there's no danger of him being led into sin. He's simply being tested or, or tempted from without. And the devil can certainly do that, and he did. And somebody else is going to preach that message, so I'm not going to do the whole thing on the temptation of Jesus. But the devil certainly, when he proposed to Jesus to turn the stones into bread, he was tempting Jesus from his point of view, right? That's a temptation. But <clears throat> from Jesus' point of view, uh-uh, no interest, zero, okay? It, it, it's, what he's saying here is it's wonderful. He experienced all the things we experienced. He was weary. We said that. Sat down at Jacob's well. He was tired. He was hungry. You ever been uh, 40 40 days? Wow. You ever been 40 hours without food? You ever been 40 days without food? You know what it's like after 40 hours? Have you ever fasted? Yeah. Visions of steaks dancing in my head. You know? Right? Isn't it? It's hard to not think of food. 40 days. He was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. He said, woman, give me a drink. Why did he say that? Well, certainly he was building a bridge for the gospel. Do you know what else? He was thirsty. That's incredible. He knew what it was like for us in all things. But there was nothing inside of him ever that you could, he, it could reach in and draw him towards sinning. Do you understand? There's nothing there. He had no sin handles inside. Let's put it that way. Temptation comes along in your life and in my life. I'll tell you, man, there are all kind of handles in there. It can reach in and draw me in, right? Not with Jesus. There are none. That's why Jesus said later, the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. There's nothing to latch on to. There's nothing that even is interested in sin. In fact, it's the very opposite. He, as it said about him in Hebrews 1, he hates sin and loves righteousness. That's him through as a person. It always was 
and it always will be. Isn't that wonderful, by the way? Man, what a wonderful Savior. <clears throat> so somebody says, well, then it wasn't a legitimate temptation. Sure it was. It was from the outside. The devil was convinced he could, he could sin. He didn't know. The devil didn't know what God was up to. You understand? He'd never seen God become a man before. And he knew people sin. And he knew to destroy God's plan. All I had to do was to get him to sin. And so he tried his best. So, yeah, there was, there was temptation. But there was just nothing inside for it to happen. We don't understand. You know, we think of sins as the individual sins we commit. And beyond that, we're pretty nice people. And that's not the case. The reason we sin and do the acts is because it's what's in here. All you're seeing is the overflow. <laughs> it's a terrible way to put it, but it's true. Okay? Uh, I haven't been to a volcano per se, but if you've ever been to Yellowstone, which I have, or up to uh, Lassen, which I have, Bump Pass Hell is a place up in Lassen. You go through that, you've got to hold your nose, man. Rotten eggs, sulfur dioxide. It stinks. Well, that stuff that stinks is stinking because of all of the stuff that's inside that you don't see. That's bubbling and churning and spewing out that stinky rotten egg smell. All right. That's why we sin because of what's in here. Jesus said, look, it's not what's outside that pollutes a person. It's what's inside for out of the heart come all manner of and go look at Mark 7. There's a list of like two verses of sins. They, they, they're here. It's just that they bubble over. Paul put it great when he was talking about himself in chapter 7. In, in dealing with his idea of him sinning and not wanting to, but yet he still does it, he realizes he can't stop it because of what's inside of himself. He says this, but now it is no longer I who do it, but listen to this, sin that dwells in me. I'm like a house. And this stuff is living in there, okay? And there's no exterminator that can get rid of it except Jesus, okay? He, he can, uh, right now in this life, he can help us get victory over it. And then ultimately, he's going to clean house. And it's going to be so wonderful to be with him without sin and be able to appreciate him for the way he is. Okay, praise the Lord. Sinless. Not because, you know, he just made it. He can't sin. And this was preserved. That's why the virgin birth. Okay. People say, well, why the virgin birth? Let let me bring up something first, because this is something people don't think a lot about. Think about, they think about Mary and, uh, you know, what a great time she must have had and so on. You know, she she, uh, gave birth to uh, the Christ and so on. She, She had a hard time. Did you ever think about that? She, she, God put her through a trial. I don't think a lot of people think about that. She's pregnant. And she's engaged to a guy and she's got to go tell him, um, guess what? I'm expecting. I'm serious. Think about it. What's he going to do? He knows he's not the father. And she's not married. Okay. Well, this angel came. Now, we laugh at that. 
He did not believe her, and I'm not surprised. How do we know he didn't believe her? Because we're told in one of the other Gospels that when he found out she was pregnant, he was going to put her away privately to avoid any public scandal. Well, if he just found out that she was pregnant, obviously the first thing she did was try to explain to him. And when the whole conversation was ended, his conclusion was, I got to put her away privately. He didn't believe her. You think that was hard for her? Yeah. You know? Praise Now, praise God. God is over all of this, you know? And so probably that night, we don't know the exact timing and all these things. I think it was probably the night after that conversation, God came to Joseph in a dream and explained to him the situation. Okay? But listen, now you've got two people going around saying, look, I know she's pregnant, but... It's from God. It's a miracle. You think people are going to believe them? Uh-uh. No. In fact, um, I wonder if her public disgrace was ever removed, particularly around her home, home area. We saw later, remember, when Jesus was ministering up there, they don't want anything to do with them. You know, look, we know who you are. You're just the son of Mary. You're just an ordinary guy. You know, it's absolutely incredible when you think about what they're saying. He just raised people from the dead. You know, gave sight to the blind, made the cripples walk. Hello. <clears throat> so she lived with this stigma, particularly in her home, I think, for the rest of her life. <clears throat> Joseph as well, because he married her, you know, pretended it uh, was okay. And so in light of that, I love uh, verse 38 back here now. Turn back to, Rome, uh, to Luke. When it's all said, she's got to be thinking some of this stuff while Gabriel is telling her these things. You know, what, how am I going to explain? You know, Gabriel didn't hover over the whole province of uh, Galilee and say, okay, everybody, listen up. Mary's pregnant, but it's from God. When it's all said and done, listen to these wonderful submissive words. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that beautiful? You know, she knows what she's going to be facing and she went through it. Whatever the Lord wants. Um, We're going to be looking at this next week, so I'll just touch on it. I think it's important that uh, you you wonder why Gabriel told her about Elizabeth. What's that got to do with anything? Your, Your relative Elizabeth is also expecting. In fact, she's six months along. You know why? Because Mary, we're going to find out next week, it says she goes with haste to Elizabeth's place. Think about it. She's going to a friendly face, at least somebody that can understand, while she begins to show. Okay? And she's there for three months. And I think that's why God told Gabriel to tell her about Elizabeth, so she could have a little bit of a retreat there. You know, but she eventually had to go back home and uh, face up to the music. So... Um, I don't know, maybe you haven't thought about that before, but she was a godly woman and she went through some tough times. But the bottom line is God blessed her with at least six other children. Okay, well, so I asked the questioner, well, then why the virgin virgin birth? Among other things, why did God cause her all this trouble? Well, (laughs) it's because the son she was about to have was no ordinary person. Okay. We talked about that. It's God himself. He pre-exists. He already exists. 
full humanity and yet full deity. And he's, he wasn't diminished or diluted in any way as God. And so it was necessary for God the Holy Spirit to perform a unique act of creation. Which, by the way, is not hard. Look, God created uh, Adam and Eve from scratch, as we say. Okay? Not just one cell, uh, 10 to the 23rd and more cells. Okay? Not 10 to the 23rd, but billions anyway, trillions. All functioning, all with DNA inside and everything. If he can do that, he can do this. Secondly, I think this is more important. It appears that the unfallen human nature comes from God, like with Adam. When God created Adam, he was not a fallen man yet. And certainly with the Lord Jesus, he had an unfallen human nature. The fallen human nature appears to come through the human father, biblically speaking. And so that's why the virgin birth. That holy one, as Gabriel says in verse 35. Okay, well, um, like I said, we should never be amazed at this event and take the longer picture. This is just one giant step downward in, in light of the whole journey, really, to the cross to come and rescue us. Uh, I'll just close with a few summaries of, again, not only why God became a man, but some of the other things. When God does something, he doesn't just do one thing. Ephesians talks about the manifold wisdom of God. When he does things, he does lots of things at once. And they're all wonderful. And so think about all the results of the incarnation uh, that happened. First of all, and we're kind of self-centered, you know, let's think about our own selves for a moment and the benefits for us. Um, Think about it. Here's this guy walking around amongst us, and it's God. We see what God is like in a way we never could have seen before. You see, God is a person. Uh, He is patient. He is loving. He has anger. Uh, He has joy. All, All of the things that we experience. But we just read about that in the Bible until he becomes a man and walks around among us and lives and talks and acts. And there you are seeing what God is like. Isn't that cool? Now, he's not all contained, so to speak, in a a human body. By the way, don't ever say that. I remember one guy saying at a break and break, years and years and years ago over at Fairhaven, he was contained in a body. I mean, like a spacesuit or something. No. Kind of like, you know, he wasn't really a man. He had on, no, he was fully man, but fully God. And in that person, if you'd been there, you could have just uh, walked around with him and, and interacted and watched him, and you'd see God. It's wonderful. Who is it Philip says later in the Gospel of John? Lord, just show us the Father, and it's enough. You know, that's all you need to do, and we'll be happy. Jesus looks at him and says, look, if I've been with you so long, Philip, and you still don't know me, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Wow. He revealed the person of God. That's why he's called the word in the gospel of John. People wonder wonder about that funny word, the word. The word is an outward expression of something you can't see. Like a word is, I'm talking right now. That way you know what I'm thinking. If I didn't talk. Do you know what I'm thinking right now? See, 
I have to use words, you see, so you can see what you can't otherwise see. You can't see God. No man has seen God at any time. But what? The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. Wow. That's exciting. John got excited anyway. Read his first epistle, man. He goes on and on. I can't believe it. Uh, The one that we saw with our eyes, our hands handled. You know, he's looking back. We were touching God in the flesh. Secondly, people think this is the main reason he came, of course, that don't know Jesus. He taught about God in men. He taught us so much about ourselves, about God, that we could not otherwise know. Right? What's a good verse to support that? All the red ones in the New Testament. Here's the primary reason, of course. And this, whenever God talks about this result, he gives it as the reason for the incarnation. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? Two. This is the reason. Redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's a good reason. Inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. What? Flesh and blood. Why? That through death so he could die. You understand? He took out a body so he could die. God can't die. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus, uh, another result, bodily resurrection. Okay, look, when we're raised from the dead, brothers and sisters, it's not going to be some kind of, you know, like the ghost, you know, woo, kind of, you know, you, they kind of go in and out of focus, you know, as they rise up from the grave. No, that wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> we're going to have bodies, but they're going to be a lot better than this model. Okay, look, the one that designed this model for existence on the earth has already designed a much better model that's fit for heaven. And you're going to get one if you know Jesus. Free. Isn't that great? It says this, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive i'm looking forward to that and another one is high priest he's he can now be our high priest talked about all those things he experienced that we experienced he understands isn't that cool he's not god way up there lofty above the heavens and has no idea what we go through oh yeah he knows you know what it says about him in isaiah it says his title is this man of sorrows man of sorrows you ever hurt you ever wept? You ever been really sad? Jesus knows about it. Okay? He's been there and done that. Man of sorrows. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He calls us that. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Another, uh, this is a reason he, he became a man. 
What's been God been promising to Israel all these years? A son of David to sit on his throne forever. Well, uh, this is incredible. How could God the Son become the son of David? <laughs> he created David. Jesus asked the Pharisees toward the end of his life, you know, um, you know, the Messiah, whose son is he? That was one of the ones they didn't refuse to answer because they couldn't see how he could get them. So they came out and said it. Oh, David's, of course. And so Jesus threw at them the verse in Psalms. You know, well, then how is it that he calls them his Lord? Because it says in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Okay, he's his Lord, but he's also his son. How can he be both? Well, he's God who became a man and became a a child of Mary, who was a descendant of David. And just to seal things off, by the way, Joseph, who in a way had nothing to do with this other than helping to raise him, was also a son of David. So he became a son of David and could fulfill that promise. So when Jesus sits on the throne in the millennium for a thousand years, he is the son of David sitting there ruling and he will rule forever. All right, the last one, the result of uh, his incarnation. We don't think about this so much, but to me, it's one of the greatest sources of worship in the Bible. It says in Hebrews 5, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. You got that? Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You're saying, well, wait, learn. How can Jesus learn anything? He already knows everything. No, it means experientially. You see, before he became a man, it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal in heaven. He's always been God the Son and always subordinate to the will of God, but he demonstrated his obedience to the Father and how far he was willing to go when he became a man and did the downward stoop we've been talking about. So that when it said in Philippians, he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross, who was he being obedient to? God the Father. And and the Father looked down and saw his son going that far to obey him. You don't think his heart was bursting with love to his son? Look what he's willing to do because he loves me. And that's something, you know, we can enter into from the outside. I don't know, that's a contradiction in terms. But we can, we can think about it. We can worship God, you know, for what he did there. And the son who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God. What a wonderful thing. Okay, well, there's a wonderful old chorus we used to sing. And there's a, one of the starting verses it just begins this way. I love the way it says it. Love was when God became a man down where I could see love that reached to me. Isn't that beautiful? Love was when God became a man down. He came down, down where I could see. I couldn't see him up there. Down where I could see love that reached to me. He reached all the way. And it's not he had a big arm from heaven. He came down and reached praise god and he found me and he's just uh, a call away from you if you don't know him 
right now. He's come down and he's waiting. He, he's not going to help you unless you cry out for help. And you do that and he'll hear you and he'll save you. Because he came down to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we praise you for your great stoop. Lord, we're going to wear out our knees praising you in heaven and for the great things that you have done. Thank you, Lord, that you came all the way down. You didn't stop halfway or 90%, but you came all the way down to the bottom of the pit where I was, helpless and hopeless. And now you've lifted us up and raised us in the heavenlies. We're already seated in the heavenlies, you tell us, higher than the angels. What a wonderful Savior we have. And we beg on behalf of anyone here who is not in Christ, who doesn't know Jesus yet as their Savior, that they would not put it off another day, but they would come to Jesus Christ and be saved from their sins. We ask it in His precious name. Amen.